Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. This podcast is brought to you by the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Dr. Sturette is a movement and mobility coach for players in the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA, plus a doctor of physical therapy. Kelly has created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach. Every day, Virtual Mobility Coach gives you guided mobility videos. It walks you step-by-step through Kelly's proven techniques to relieve pain, improve range of motion, and improve performance. Try it completely free for two weeks, and if you decide to continue, you can get 10% off for life using the promo code PROJECT10. Hurry up, because the code expires October 1st. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with someone very unique, very special, and someone who has a very good story. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Amy Morris. Dr. Amy, thanks for coming on the podcast. First things first, though, what are you a doctor in? Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for asking. So I did my doctorate in pharmacy and specifically oncology pharmacy. So the landscape of education for pharmacists um, is a a little bit confusing, but I did like a full-time proper doctorate, U of T trained, um, and did my doctorate there focusing in oncology pharmacy. Okay. So you are, um, high level drug dealer. Is that, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> no, I don't I'm, make I'm enough just money for that. I think though. I think, yeah, breaking bad. I think he was making a little bit more than, <laughs> yeah. than you, Yeah. but, uh, in oncology. So, so cancer. Yeah. You got so, it. So all kinds of cancer, just, is there specific kinds of cancer? Yeah. So my education really focused in women's health. So gynecological types, cancers, breast cancers. So that's where I really focus a lot of my energy. Um, But with that level of training, you do need to know about all areas. So I have worked a bit in pediatric oncology. So kids with cancer, Um, but most of my time has been spent um, women, breast, ovarian, cervical, that sort of cancer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and you graduated in 2016? 2015, I believe. Yeah, 2015 from U of T. Um, and I've been a pharmacist t- since 2010, um, so 11 years. And what happened in 2016? Yeah, so let me start at the beginning, and I'll tell you the whole story here. Um, so in 2000 and uh, yeah, 2016. Yeah, you're right. You know what, Chris? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's embarrassing when you know the dates better than me. But in 2016, I had just finished. And I had moved back home. So I was living in Toronto, moved back home to Saskatoon, um, Saskatchewan. That's where I'd spent most of my adult life. Um, And I wanted to come back home, go back to working in oncology. So I had previously been working at a cancer clinic here, went to U of T, took some time to learn, then wanted to come back, continue to serve my community here. Um, And I moved back home. My husband and I at the time had gotten engaged. Um, and we had just bought our first house. We were kind of doing all the things that everyone does in that phase of life, you know, engage. Our wedding was in September, bought a new house. So we got married at the end of September. It's actually coming up on our five-year anniversary here. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah, we made it five years. Okay, so 
coming up on our wedding anniversary. So September 24th, we got married. Then after our wedding, we went on a honeymoon to Italy and Greece. So we spent two weeks kind of eating our way through those countries. So like pizza and cheese and wine. And when we got home, I had understandably gained a little bit of weight. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're both really fit and healthy people. We're both athletes. We had both been on Team Canada's powerlifting team. So we got back to training when we came home. And uh, I really wasn't losing any weight, even though I was back to normal. And I had really bad heartburn. And I'd never had heartburn before. At this point, I was uh, 30 years old. And so I went to my GP, like my family doc, pretty quick and just wanted to figure out what was going on. And, you know, it didn't take long. She sent me for some quick scans. And I realized I had a tumor on my ovary the size of a football. So it was 21 centimeters by 10 centimeters. And so that's massive. Yeah, it's really huge. And, you know, you know, our bodies are just so, just so interesting. And especially women's ovaries are just like, they can just be so subtle, you know, like I didn't have a ton of bloating, wasn't really distended, but this tumor was really pushing my other organs up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why I was getting the heartburn. Mm. Yeah. So someone who works in cancer. Yeah. Specializes in it then all of a sudden gets ovarian cancer. The irony is thick. (laughs) I remember when you came out about that and you you said that in all your social media. And I remember talking to my wife, Maggie, and uh, we were just like heartbroken for you. We didn't really know you, right? We're just like, how does, how could like the chances, like how, how does that actually come to be and we felt so bad and, and I knew I knew Mark more w- w- within the lifting yeah. stuff and then you started coming out and you were doing your treatments yeah and you were making everything so live and you were just taking people along I remember watching your live things you you throw the heart you throw the like and stuff and, and most people wouldn't do that what made you kind of decide to say okay you know I've got cancer now I'm going to share it with the world Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. And I mean, upfront, I respect everyone's approach to how they handle that type of diagnosis. If you want to be private, I respect that. If you want to be public, I respect that too. Um, I think for me, there's a couple of things. I've always been a little bit outside of the box and how I approach life. So I'm always looking for something different to do or new to try. That's just who I am. Um, But I think the second big piece to that and what, what really triggered me to do that Um, was that I had started treatment right before Christmas and I went home for Christmas to see my extended family. Um, And my nephew at that time was in high school and he said to me, okay, so chemo, um, that's when you get radiation in your veins, right? And I just thought, oh gosh, like I'm in such a unique position where I know so much about these cancer treatments already and now I'm going to personally go through it so I can give you a firsthand experience of it. And we have such a huge amount of mystery around cancer. Like people get diagnosed. It's super scary. They go away and they're sick. And then sometimes they come back and sometimes they don't. And so I just felt if I can teach people what this looks like, then it becomes a lot less scary for someone else to go through it because you know what it looks like. It's not clouded in mystery. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a very um, powerful way of going about it. And uh, w- what better person to do that? And I remember you were explaining, but it, w- it was it was funny. It wasn't funny. It wasn't funny, but it was funny because what I'm looking at is you're literally explaining as if it's um, a TV show. <laughs> you were saying this and this and it goes here and here, but you didn't seem to be, you didn't seem like you were the patient, right? And it's kind of the way you were going about it and stuff. And I was like, this is like an educational video that someone has put in a VHS. This is what cancer is, how it works and stuff. Yeah. So I, I thought that was very informative the way, the way you did it. Mm, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, so like, what was it like when you had to go through that process? Like, obviously you and Mark had just gotten married and probably wanted a family. Mm-hmm. Like, how did that go? Yeah. So we, we were newlyweds for sure, but we had been together for quite a while at that point. I, Still teasing that he took a long time to ask me to marry him. Um, but so we had been together for quite some time. So we weren't any, we weren't strangers to overcoming adversity, like the two of us together. He mm-hmm. had done his PhD. I'd done my doctorate. And earlier that year, his dad had died suddenly from a heart attack. So we had really endured a lot. So we had those strategies put in place. And I, and I mean, on the family front, I do remember a very distinct conversation with my surgeon and oncologist where I was just like, I can't even fathom um, worrying about someone else's life right now when my life is so hanging in the balance. Mm -hmm. So my approach really through treatment was um, do what you need to do to protect me. And if we are blessed with children in any regard, adoption, foster, I mean, that would very much align with my um, kind of view of life, then we would take that as it comes. But I mean, fortunately for me, I was able to keep uh, one of my ovaries. So just down to one and the chemo treatment I had um, was fertility sparing too. So it didn't impact my fertility long-term. What other types of treatments do? Yeah. So breast cancer survivors, which obviously in young women diagnosed with cancer, that's what's dominating the space is breast cancer. Typically a standard treatment for that would greatly impact your fertility. Really? This yeah. not, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Is that because, well, why is that? It's mainly the chemo drugs that they're given during that treatment. Um, my treatment was, is so different, right? Um, breast cancer and ovarian cancer are treated really differently. My treatment was actually more comparable to a treatment for testicular cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess like, you know, balls to balls, I guess kind of thing. <laughs> but that sounds nuts to me, actually. <laughs> yeah. So um, my treatment was a lot more like a testicular treatment. Um, and because of the drugs that they use, which are not new drugs or old drugs, but they just don't impact fertility. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So when, when you had a, you had to go through your treatment, you, you were getting all your stuff. Like, did you know you were going to survive? Is this a high rate of survival cancer? Or if you get it at an early age? So that is a great question. And that whole experience is a complete roller coaster ride. So when I was first, when I first found out I had a tumor, a large tumor on my ovary, typically that is going to be benign. It's not going to be cancerous. And young women, they can get big growths on their ovaries and they're removed surgically and that's it. You're fine. It's not cancer. Um, So at the start of my diagnosis, I was very hopeful that this was just going to be surgery um, and that would be fine. Then once I was officially diagnosed as um, cancer, it was officially diagnosed as cancer through a CT scan. 
um, then that's kind of when you kind of hit bottom because mm -hmm. you're really looking at the survival rate for the most common types of ovarian cancer. It's about 39% chance of surviving to five years. So your chance of living to 35, which I am now, um, is 39%. Like that's kind of a shitty stat really mm -hmm. to face. Um, but that's really the main type of ovarian cancer. And, and fortunately for me, um, as I went further down that road, I discovered I was diagnosed with a rare form, uh, which put my survival rate as quite high. So about mm. 95%. If, so, if it was fully removed, right? That's right. And if mm. I went through chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, so chemotherapy, what, what is that? How does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, you typically will do chemo in cycles. So for me personally, and this varies for everyone, I did five days from Monday to five, Monday to Friday of chemo. Then I would have two weeks off and I would do that again. Um, so the idea is that you're catching the cancer cells in different growth phases. Mm -hmm. So you can hit them with chemo, kill them, and then let the ones that you didn't get grow a bit more and then hit it again. Um, and then on the other side, it allows you to recover. For me personally, chemo was completely exhausting. Like I was bed bound for an entire week after I was done. Um, and you have to keep in mind, like we often picture people with cancer as being old and frail. Um, I was 30 and a competitive power lifter and I was bed bound. Um, so that was the biggest thing for me. It was, um, just a really heavy blanket to carry around all the time. And the chemo is, treatment, is it, is it done like through IV? Is that how it's done yeah, through your body? exactly. So I had like a semi-permanent um, port placed in my uh, bicep and I received infusions through that port um, every three weeks. And how long are, like when you're in the hospital, you're sitting in a bed, how long does this last? Yeah, so for me, it was long. I It was about it, anywhere from six to eight hours it would take. Oh. You have to get a lot of hydration too. One of the chemo drugs I received is toxic to your kidneys. So they want to make sure they flush your kidneys out as good as they can um, during that period as well. Am I right to say this? I'm not hundred percent sure. It sounds like chemo is a chemical that is going to kill something that's killing you, mm -hmm. but at the same time is going to hurt you. You're just trying to hope it kills the right stuff more than the, whatever's left over. Well, exactly. Like chemo traditional, like traditional chemo, and there's been huge advances in the last decade, even But traditional chemo, which is what I had, it's tacking rapidly dividing cells. So mm -hmm. can't my cancer, obviously I went from the end of September and I was diagnosed on remembrance day. So, um, like November 11th. Um, so it grew to the size of a football in that time. Wow. Um, and so that's rapidly dividing cells. So it targets that, but it also targets your other rapidly dividing cells. So your hair, that's why that falls out your, mm -hmm. um, mucous membrane in your mouth. Um, so that might become sore tender. So it's really going to target kind of those types of cells that are rapidly dividing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you said you were bound for a full week and then you mentioned before about when we think of an elder person who goes through cancer treatments and stuff. So you're super healthy. And, and you were laid up. Yeah. How does someone who's, you know, not so healthy, maybe someone who is much older, how do they handle that? Do they do any, is there anything different that happens with them? They do, I don't know, um, uh, vitamin drips. Do they, do they jack them up with testosterone? Like what do they do for an elder person? 
Yeah, I think it's all about a balance of how you are when you go into treatment. So if you go in quite frail and undertrained, and then you really ha- might have to pull back on the amount of chemo that you can be given, right? It's there's a line from a, a, a cancer book um, that was released a few years ago, written by an oncologist. And he comments about how he wondered if his patient died from the cancer or the cure. Um, And so that always really stuck with me. And it is that like delicate balance of killing the cancer, but making sure that you can rebound on the other side of things. So we have, we have the technology today to use a chemical to kill a a disease, but your fitness level or general health going into this could increase your chance of survival or increase how you handle it. Absolutely. Like you're, I will consistently say to my patients, that I really believe when you were diagnosed with cancer, you should hit the weight room. Like mm-hmm. that's where you should be headed it, cause you're likely gonna undergo surgery and you're likely gonna undergo chemo. And so you wanna be as strong as you can going into that. And to be fair, Chris, like my recovery, I had a huge surgery to remove that tumor and my recovery was no big deal. Like I was mm-hmm. back to it, no problem. Cause I was so strong going into it. How many stables did you have? Oh God. I saw saw that photo you reposted the other day. Yeah. It's like basically when the span of my abdomen, um, I think it was over 40, but honestly, that's getting a little fuzzy now. Yeah. That that, that was crazy. Yeah. So anyone, anyone listening here right now, this is a fitness podcast. So more reason, more reason to, to, to work out and get healthy in case you ever have to deal with something like that. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like before when I was diagnosed, I was training, I was very much training to be a competitor. Mm-hmm. So I was training to win and I, I, I really am a competitive person. And there was a point, there were points where I didn't win. Right. Mm, everyone has that. I guess. <laughs> I guess if you must. <laughs> um, so there were points where I, I wasn't winning or I'd have a bad stretch. Right. And I would, re- I just really remember talking to people in the gym and being like, well, what the, what the heck is the point of this? Like, why would I do this mm-hmm. if I'm not going to win, if I'm not going to, you know, if someone better than me is going to show up, why am I doing this? And now, I mean, I can't, it can't be any more different. The reason why I lift weights now, like I lift weights to reduce my risk of a cancer recurrence to stay as strong as possible in case something else happens. And I lift weights so I can get old and be strong and get older and still be strong. Yeah. So when they decide how many rounds of chemo they're going to give you to treat uh, the cancer, what goes into that decision? Because you said, you know, at 30 years old, you're healthy. Although why would they say four rounds for someone else? Could you have done seven rounds? Was seven rounds needed? Yeah, basically. Um, so there, for my diagnosis, there was a few, because it was rare, there was a few pieces of literature that really looked at um, this standard treatment, which they'd always done four rounds, mm-hmm. but they had included three drugs. And there had been some recent r- literature that showed four rounds, but just two drugs and you would get the same results. So that's really what I was treated off of is really we know that you get that 95% chance of survival with four rounds and these two drugs, and that's where you can end up. And so 95% in the world of cancer is pretty much as good as it's gonna get. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds that um, they wanna use the least amount, the, the, the least dosage that can get yeah. the highest result. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then after you went through your treatment, or I guess even when you consult with other people, what happens when they're done? So they're done treatment. They're probably all of a sudden, you don't just get it. Like, hey, I feel amazing. Is there protocols to get your health back on 
back on track, uh, supplementation, different types of vitamins, anything like that? Yeah, well, I can say in North America, so I'm most familiar with the Canadian healthcare system, but I work with a lot of American clients, like probably primarily American clients. Mm -hmm. And I will say that in terms of supporting cancer recovery, this is probably the biggest gap in these two systems that we have right now. I mean, typically what, and what happened with me too is, you know, my oncologist was brilliant and he was incredibly um, empathetic and kind. Um, we actually, my son's middle name is his first name because um, really we wouldn't have um, our son if he hadn't saved my life. So really, but when my, I finished my oncologist, I was like, look, I'm exhausted. Like I am exhausted. And it's been months since I've been done chemo. I'm 30 years old. I need to go back to work at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and he was kind of like, that's how it goes. Um, that's the way it is. Like, you're welcome. You don't have cancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, like, this is just your reality now. And, and that's what I hear from a lot of um, cancer survivors as well, is that it's like, yeah, you, we put you into menopause to get rid of your cancer. Um, and now I hear you're struggling with hot flashes and night sweats and you're gaining weight and you have brain fog, but um, that's the best we can do. Yeah. So it's a huge gap in care for sure. So why is that? Do you feel like the training and stuff is literally, Hey, we're going to free you now you're on your own or no one else has said, Hey, here's an opportunity to help people. Yeah, I think over the last, you know, cancer shifted too. Um, so keep in mind about that. It, I mean, it's really shifted from something that's like a death sentence to something that's often managed more like a chronic disease. You really. hear so many people now who have cancer. Like it's, I remember being a, a young fella and there was a, a teacher in the school. What has, what's cancer, right? And then, you yeah. know, it's not, it's not here the next year. Yeah. Like you never heard of that, but yeah. now I'm pretty sure probably a high percentile of anyone who's listening to this now knows someone who either has or has had cancer at one point in their sure. life. For sure. For sure. And we're seeing younger people being diagnosed with cancer too. So there's a lot of reasons why that could be happening, you know, better detection, better screening. But what we do know is that we have this bigger proportion of people who are actually living long lives after cancer. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just been an area that's been neglected because of kind of the evolution and it hasn't necessarily caught up to where we are now. Mm -hmm. You know, I never thought about that. Would I would, if someone said, Hey, more people have cancer today, I'd be like, well, the average person is probably not as healthy as they were, you know, two, three decades sure. ago, sure. but you just said the technology to identify it earlier on might lead to that. And I never, I never would have thought of that, but I guess yeah. you're bang on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to, to cancer in general, there's, there's so many different myths and I've seen your TikToks <laughs> on some of them. I thought it was just some of them were hilarious. And, you know, uh, I, I've been in situations before where I'm like, Hey, I read that. That must be true. What are some of the big myths when it comes to cancer and treating cancer that you just like, you know what, these are BS. Like, don't even bother thinking about this. <laughs> I think, well, I think the biggest one that bothers me the most, and this is probably um, the most controversial too, um, in terms of there's not that is fact, but in terms of there's so much myth out there about it, is that sugar fuels cancer. Yes. I think that's the most irritating one to me because to tell women or to tell people that, 
you know, sugar is what caused your cancer. There's an extreme amount of guilt and heaviness that comes along with that. Mm -hmm. And it's never been shown to be true. Like to say to me at 30 years old, who was healthy, I was eating like a higher protein diet. We were exercising five days a week, lifting weights, but sugar caused it like that is such, that's so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think people don't realize the amount of damage it does to cancer survivors when you say that to them too. Where'd that come from? Did someone they, someone pump a mouse full of sugar and cancer <laughs> and it died? Oh, I'm not sure of the origins of that, but gosh, there is certainly a lot of information online. If you go looking for it, you can certainly find a lot of people that are really passionate about that hypothesis. Yeah, I, I did. After you, after I saw your TikTok, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And I was like, holy shit, there's tons of stuff where people oh, yeah. are saying that, but you're right, you couldn't find the, the origins of it. But in the same breath, it's like, don't eat sugar, but also don't eat dairy because mm. there's too many hormones in our dairy and that might fuel your cancer as well. But then also don't eat meat mm -hmm. because that could be a problem. You know, it's just like, Oh, and, your, and, your, and your water, your water can't come from the city. Your water's got to be like well no. water. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it just becomes so overwhelming and it's just based in fear rather than fact. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, with those specificities, when you're talking about different, different myths and stuff, when someone comes to hire you for your services, now you, you help them post cancer, where do you start someone off? So most of the time, so I, primarily help women. So that's really my focus. So the women I help typically do have hormone driven cancer, meaning that their treatment actually put them into a forced menopause state. Mm -hmm. So their cancer was using their estrogen as gasoline, right? So mm -hmm. it was feeding off of their estrogen. So as part of the treatment, it puts them into a forced menopause, either through removing their ovaries or through drugs. Mm -hmm. So to be in menopause in general, uh, we hardly ever talk about menopause like in our society, um, but in a forced menopause at a young age is particularly severe. The symptoms are particularly severe. So women typically come to me with help for weight loss because they've gained weight because their estrogen levels have shifted. Um, they come to me to reduce their hot flashes. They can't take supplemental estrogen to decrease their hot flashes. So we need to look at other ways to avoid that. And then the last thing they typically come to me for is to improve their energy. So the primary thing that I struggled with post-cancer mm -hmm. is they want to get back to, you know, exercising. They want to have coffee dates with their girlfriends. They want to travel and they just don't have the energy to get off the couch. Mm -hmm. So early, early menopause, is that caused by ovarian cancer or breast cancer or both? Yeah, it can be both. So it's from, it's from the drugs. Yeah. So in breast cancer, it certainly is from the drugs. So women post breast cancer will go on anti-hormone therapy for five to 10 years after they're done their active IV treatment. So they have a five to 10 year window where they're taking a pill every day to suppress their estrogen levels. Mm -hmm. So it puts you into a uh, faux menopause, really. Um, and it's a long-term treatment. We do that anti-hormonal therapy because we know that it will decrease your risk of a recurrence long-term, uh, but it doesn't come without a price. Mm -hmm. So those types of cancers, if you don't do that suppressed hormone stuff, they're going to come back at a higher rate. That's right. So it sounds like the body feeds, like, is, it, is, it a, is it a hormonal cancer then? 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I mean, there's certainly types, there's a lot of different types of breast cancer for sure. And there's types of breast cancer that aren't driven by hormones at all. And there are types that are heavily driven by hormones. The majority of diagnoses are driven by hormones. Um, and unfortunately, the ones that are not, the treatment options aren't very good. Um, mm -hmm. And so their prognosis is often worse mm -hmm. than those. So your, your choice here, if you get breast cancer, just to be clear, is you can have a good treatment and a good chance of survival, but we're going to put you into menopause or we don't put you into menopause, but your chance of survival is not as good. And yeah. I mean, when you're first diagnosed, you're like, do whatever, like, mm -hmm. you know, get the cancer out of me, do whatever. But then once the dust settles, you're like, wait a second, I didn't think I was going to be 38 and having hot flashes at the same time as my 65 year old mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're working in fitness as a trainer. I get approached with this all the time, right? My yeah. average clientele is between the ages of, you know, 40 and 60 females, yeah. right? <laughs> so yeah. they always get it, it. This is what always happens. They come to see me. I need to lose weight. My joints hurt. All these things are happening. I, you know, I'm premenopausal. I am menopausal. And I say, okay, what does your physician say? My physician says, there's nothing they can do. They yeah. say, this is, this is just how it is. And I'm always like, oh, and that's a very common thing for trainers to hear. But you, you found a way. Yes. Well, definitely. There's certainly like in a forced menopause state and menopause as well. There's certainly good literature to support how we can reduce hot flashes, how you can drop weight and how you can get rid of the brain fog. Like, I mean, there's certainly things you can do. I, and I mean, the literature supports it. It's not fringe literature. It's not like these wacky concepts. And mm -hmm. um, I think really just access to women's health um, is just lacking. And, and I hope that we're seeing some kind of an evolution with that that, you know, we know that women, when they express pain, it's not listened to as much. Um, I could really go down this road quite far, sit on the soapbox for a while, but I mean, there's certainly lots we can do. And I think women just need better access to it. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that women are doing now that you would advise against? If they're in those situations, yeah. Would you well, say, you know, that you probably shouldn't do that? Well, in my specific clientele, I do suggest that like we can't use hormone replacement therapy. And I mean, in the general population, hormone replace ther replacement therapy is a double-edged sword, right? There are downsides to it too. What I typically see women do is they're going to rush to try to find a supplement to get rid of the hot flashes, to supplement their estrogen. They're looking at soy, flaxseed they really want to take a supplement to get rid of it. But really the best strategy is diet and nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes pace breathing and meditation. That's really at the core of where you're going to get the most bang for your buck and reducing these symptoms. And then supplements will get you like a tiny little change, maybe mm -hmm. if you're really suffering, but like, let's not start with the small difference. Let's start with the big difference. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I've read before about different things, but some people suggest, okay, um, a ketogenic diet is good for this situation. And some are like, whoa, 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 no, no, you, know, you don't go ketogenic diet here. You want to have carbohydrates kind of at, you know, 60% of the diet. Where do you sit on, on that fence? 
Yes, I'm not, I'm not anti-keto in general, but I do not like using a keto diet for this particular group of women. Um, I find like their energy levels are often suffering. Um, and so going super low carb is going to make that worse in a lot of cases. And I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would disagree with that, but that's particularly what, what I find with my clients. And, you know, if you survey 10, 10 to hundred people and you ask them, Hey, do you feel better eating bread? Well, <laughs> everyone's going to say yes. Like who doesn't like, you know, a good loaf of bread. Well, here's the other thing. I totally agree. First of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, the other thing is that these women have like, this is a big hill to climb, you know, it is. And, and, and there is a solution, but I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's going to be a lot harder than taking an estrogen pill every day. Yeah. It is. Um, but here's the thing, like, because they're going to have to dedicate so much effort to getting these symptoms lower, let's take the easiest path that we can. And I don't think keto, a keto diet is necessarily like the most, um, practical in terms of balancing, you know, you still got kids, you're still doing, you know, the soccer games and you know, all that. It's just not as practical. Yeah. It's not. And, you know, people always tend to, they diverge into the you know, the more standardized ketogenic diet. What do you have today? Well, I just had a couple uh, salami sticks and like a block of cheese. Yeah. But I didn't, you know, I didn't go over 10 grams of carbohydrates. I also haven't pooped in three days. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you run a six week program here called the cancer rebel program. What a mm-hmm. cool name for that. Oh, what's, that what's that program look like? Yeah. So we spend uh, six weeks in women's can spend six weeks in my program and it's actually has a few components. Um, so first of all, we really focus on nutrition. Um, so that's where we spend the bulk of our time. So many women come to me wanting to lose weight and to improve their energy and truthfully nutrition is where we target those problems. But I also incorporate um, exercise into my program as well. I wouldn't say I'm like a trainer of any sorts. So what I do is I will actually take the exercise women are doing and either tweak it or add to it and try to get it to align with current cancer guidelines that show a reduction in recurrence. So we can use exercise to reduce your cancer risk of recurrence by 59%. That's kind of the latest literature on that. Um, so I'll get you to try to align with that literature. And then there's also literature to show you can reduce your hot flashes by about 30% through exercise. Mm-hmm. So then I try to get women to hit that level of exercise to get some hot flash relief. Very cool. What are, what are the guidelines for the exercise, like the frequency, intensity? Yeah. How does that so, look? So they've broken it down to strength training and cardio. So they consider the two um, kind of in pillars on their own. So we're really looking cardio wise for 150 minutes of exercise a week. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty standard. They say you can do um, moderate intensity. I love to have women walk <laughs> brisk walk. You don't need anything. You don't need to go to a crowded gym during COVID where you're already immunocompromised, get out and walk. It's a great fat loss tool as well. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where I start in terms of cardio, but I have more athletic women in my programs too, that are doing the Peloton thing, or they're training for a race or a bike race. So I just incorporate and adjust what they're doing to hit that 150. Mm-hmm. And then on the strength training side, they're saying at least two strength training sessions a week. 
So in my program, I often will start women with body weight um, strength training because many of these women haven't um, done any strength training in the past. <laughs> so I'm a big fan. I was national squat record holder for several years. So body weight squat. What was that? 150? Was it 150 oh, keys? 153, I think. 153? I knew it was around there. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good memory though. Um, so I typically start, you know, we're starting body weight squats, lunges, um, a lot of the breast cancer survivors struggle with push-ups because of the mastectomy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is kind of a short and quick way to get them started in terms of hitting those, those guidelines where we know we can get that risk of a cancer recurrence reduced. Mm-hmm. Now, does there any, is there any variation or um, variance if your intensity is too high? Like, could you, like, could someone just get beat up and they say, you know what, that was just too much for me. And then do you just scale down where it's minutes or less sets and reps. Yeah. So often what I find is that women, when they come to me, they are trying to get back to what they could do before. And understandably, you want your life back. You want to feel the way you used to feel before cancer. Mm -hmm. But what I often see is women jump in way too fast. So they're, they want to do boot camps. They want to do spin classes. And then, so that's where they start and they get really um, you know, beat up and Mm -hmm. then they don't really lose the weight that they're looking to lose either. Um, so typically women will come to me at that point. Um, and so then, yes, we do need to like scale back, um, and start a little bit more moderately in terms of what you can take, Mm -hmm. especially for strength training too. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of postnatal or do a lot of pre and postnatal over the years. Mm -hmm. And, um, there there are guidelines to, to follow. Mm -hmm. And what I found is they're generally good, generally yeah. good. So you yeah. take, you take 10 new moms, it's going to work for maybe six. Yeah. Then you got some of the, the outliers who don't work so well. Sure. Uh, so one protocol that, that uh, I've used and works quite well is a burn, burn plus two protocol. Okay. Tell so me more. Uh, tell you all about <laughs> so a burn plus two protocol is usually it's an accumulation of fatigue where you start to feel some fatigue within the tissues or the muscles themselves. And the person will tell you, Oh, I feel my legs burn. I said, okay, okay, great. Do two more reps. Okay. So, so they get enough stimulus to challenge. Mm. So let's say, for example, you can do 20 bodyweight squats and you start to feel a burn in your quads. Right. And then let's say someone who's completely deconditioned, they're going to get it around six. So they do eight and you do 22. You both have done enough stimulation to cause an adaptation to get better. Yeah. You both did different reps and you both did a burn plus two. And I found that that can actually become customized to the individual. Yeah. Two postnatal moms. One comes in one morning and she slept all night. Baby, you know, was good. Yeah. Maybe dad got up, did a feeding. Yeah. Energy levels are high. She's doing yeah. 22 reps. Yeah. And then someone else comes in. They're like, I did four feedings last night. Right. I didn't really sleep. They get fatigued at six. Yeah. So it's kind of like using a rate of perceived exertion. Yeah. Exactly. And applying the right stimulus for yeah. the person for that day. Yeah. And, and I found that that's the secret sauce when, when yeah. I do the postnatal stuff with, with nice. women. Yeah. And it worked, it worked out pretty good. Cause I would, I would follow I'm like, oh, you're supposed to do seven more reps. So <laughs> you're going to fall over with it doing your body yeah. weight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a great strategy. I think that would work in this group of women as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just to go back with some of the women in this program that you, yeah. you run here, does everyone start with like a generalized meal plan or do you, are you just like, okay, listen, we're starting off. We're going to go protein. We're going to really work with the protein or, or do you say vegetables? That's where you're going to get your energy from. Yeah. So we do, it, it is a group program, but there is still that one-on-one component. So we do actually set um, individual macronutrient targets 
for every woman in the program and you get updated targets every week. So you do get that one-on-one kind of support. Um, So it is tailored to their bodies, to their goals. Um, Because like I said, not everyone comes into my program wanting to lose weight either. They might just want better energy and they're happy with their body weight. Um, And so I'll support that for sure, um, however I can. And so that's really the approach nutrition-wise. I don't do meal plans. Um, Just not a big fan of the sustainability Mm -hmm. um, of meal plans, but um, we do kind of use that flexible dieting approach. Most of the women, when they come into my program, there's two big issues that they're having. The first is that they're not eating enough. Mm -hmm. Um, So they just aren't eating enough food to have the energy that they want. Um, And so then they restrict, restrict, restrict. Then the weekend hits and, you know, all bets are off. Yeah. And then they restrict, restrict, restrict. So it really impacts their energy. Um, and they don't lose any weight doing it. And so that's number one, I would say that that's the exact same as the postnatals. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Well, Every, yeah, you don't eat no. anything because you have no time or can't think of it. Or they, and, they try to diet. Yeah. Right? They're sure. like, I got to get back to my pre baby weight. I need to diet yet. They're breastfeeding. They're yeah. sleeping three hours a night. They're exhausted 24 yeah. seven. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You just change the title of your program. Use the same yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I have personal experience with that too. So <laughs> could double down there. Um, yeah. And then the second thing is that typically they're not eating enough protein. Typically their protein levels are, are quite low. And I, I mean, lots of women will often say, oh, I know you want me to eat high protein. And I'll actually say like, this is not high protein. This is like acceptable protein, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not like going crazy amounts of protein here. We're just trying to get you up to a place where it's going to be enough to fuel you through the day. Cause we know that protein is so important for, well, low estrogen for maintaining that muscle mass. And then also for your energy, it just makes such a big difference. Okay. So when their estrogen levels are super low, if they have a, a, an an adequate protein diet, that's going to allow them to maintain the muscle mass they have. If they wouldn't, they would start atrophying at a faster rate. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to think Mm -hmm. estrogen, when we don't have estrogen on board, it's going to be more difficult to maintain that muscle and to build new muscle. And so one of the ways we can offset that is through protein. Mm-hmm. And when estrogen drops, what else drops? Does test go down? Like, mm-hmm. like the, for, for females, does it, does it alternate as much? You know what? I haven't necessarily like looked um, at my clients to see if they have those levels taken because it's not often monitored. So I don't know if I can really speak to that with a whole lot of intelligence, to be honest. Okay. Probably better than, <laughs> probably better than most though. Yeah, no? sure. Fair, fair. Yeah. So my, my takeaway from our conversation today, Amy, is these are the big ones for me. And if you're into fitness, you're probably thinking the same stuff. Mm-hmm. When you prioritize your health and your fitness, and then something bad happens to you, if you're in a good spot starting out, you're going to be in a better spot ending off, hopefully, right? Yeah, yeah. When you go through your treatment and then you come back out, if you do the same thing again and you prioritize your health, mm-hmm. you can get back to where you once were or maybe even better before. Am I right to say that? Absolutely, absolutely. Like there are women that will say to me now, you know, they go through my program and they'll say to me, I, it's, I have a hard time believing I ever had cancer. Like I have a hard time believing that that actually happened to me the way I'm feeling right now. So absolutely you can come, you know, just like you can rebound from any injury or you can, you know, feel better in your forties than in your twenties or postpartum versus before you had kids, like it's definitely possible. But I think 
the biggest thing with women and that I see across the spectrum, cancer survivor or not, is that that priority on yourself is so low. And so when you become a, when you're diagnosed with cancer, you, the priority becomes pretty high, right? Like I said, <laughs> it's my life. So I need to protect my life before I can think about children. Um, and it's like that with many women, like I need to take care of me. And so your world stops to take care of you. But then the further you get out from cancer, the more and more you're like, well, I got to start volunteering at the church again. I got to do the bake sales at school. I got to make sure my parents are taken care of. And so you slowly start letting go of all those good habits. And I think like for women, especially, you know, I say in my household all the time, like you guys are done without me. If I'm not here, you guys are done. So I got to exercise. I got to eat right. Because without me, you two are lost. Um, And so like you have to think of it from that perspective, right? Like that priority needs to be placed on yourself all the time. You women are the MVPs. (laughs) Right? You're the MVPs. There's a good chance right now this shirt would be dirty. If Maggie wasn't oh here God. in my life, I'd be sitting Don't here get- in a dirty <laughs> shirt. Yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so I, I totally understand that. So if someone is uh, listening to this right now, and let's say they are, you know, they, they have cancer, they're going through treatment, or they've just finished treatment and stuff like that. And, and you were, and they were to say, Amy, what could I do? What should I do right now? Is there one tip of advice or one thing you would say, hey, do this? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a few things, three things really come to mind right off the bat. If you want to start slow, but get started, the first thing is you need to pay attention to your hydration. You get hydration during chemo for a good reason. It's to make sure your, your organs are functioning and that that impacts your energy level too. Um, so you need to make sure you're hydrated. So pay attention to your hydration. It doesn't just have to be water after, after chemo, often they'll give you a metallic taste or a weird taste in your mouth flavored water, carbonated water, like <laughs> add it in, but pay, start there, pay attention to that. Then I would also look at your lean protein of what you're eating. Typically you're not eating enough. Um, even if you think you are, you don't have to go crazy on this. You don't have to weigh it and track it. Just put about, you know, just put some protein at every meal, right? Eat protein at breakfast, lunch, and supper. And there, there you go. You're done. <laughs> and then the third thing is that be gentle with your exercise when you start back. You know, it's humbling to go from a competitive powerlifter to benching a PVC pipe in the gym, but that's where I started. And so mm-hmm. you don't have to start hard, start simple, but just start. And then each week you'll build on that. And before you know it, you'll be back to yourself. That's great advice. Thank you for that. Yeah. Your six week program, when's the next one start? Yeah, so I am actually doing enrollment at the end of September and October 4th would be my next uh, my next start date for that program. Perfect, good. So I'll put all the information for that if anyone's interested in getting involved with that into the show notes here at the bottom. Amy, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on here and you know talking about your story. And uh, one of the beauties of, of, of technology for me, for COVID, for this whole podcast thing is I get to learn. I get to learn for free. You know, I didn't yeah. pay you. I didn't pay you a dime. You can invoice <laughs> me later if I do all you something. <laughs> we'll see. But, but getting to have uh, experts like yourself on here and, and share your knowledge and your education and your story, I really do appreciate that. And because I know it can help other people. So thanks for taking the time today to come on the Project Fitness Podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm so, always so happy for an opportunity to connect with other people who might be going through treatment or who are cancer survivors. So 
I mean, anyone in your audience, please feel free to find me on Instagram. Um, there's some funny cancer reels there. Gotta, the reels are my favorite. The reels <laughs> are my favorite. The songs. Good. You always have like the trendy song too, right? <laughs> so I always know what's popular. If I just oh, yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. yeah, so find me there. I'm like, DM me. I'm always happy to build my community in any way I can. So thanks Definitely so much. Will. Thank you, yeah. Amy. Have yeah. a great day. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it. Thank you.